If you have your Bibles, if you could take them out and turn to Romans chapter 3, I'd appreciate that. And outside, right at the center doors, is a, is a message outline. You can pick that up at the counter. What we're going to do, we're going to start a new series today that I, I didn't know. And what I want to do this summer is, it'll go through into August, is kind of choose some of those important things that, uh, some things that we should know that maybe we didn't know. Or maybe no one ever told us. And we're going to look at those this summer, hopefully to destroy some of those myths that perhaps we've embraced. So now we can say, now I know. That's what we want. So now I know. And before we get to the big ones, some of the weeks, I don't know which weeks, but some of the weeks, I, I want to look at a little one. It really has nothing to do with the big one. but kind of a, a micro that I didn't know that no one ever told me. And I, I'm thinking of a person who's had a rough time as of late. They've gone through some difficult times and maybe haven't made some good decisions or not proud of, maybe even some major sins in their life. And now they're thinking, where can I go get help? Where can I go? Or will God forgive me? Or am I just stuck out here all by myself and I have no help? And maybe wondering, will my church condemn me? Will my church judge me? Will my church help me through it? And I want to say to that person who's going through that this morning, that this church will love you and we will help you through the issues. We will be there for you and we'll stand with you and do as much as we can. That this church is not a church for only perfect people. None of us are perfect, right? None of us are perfect. We're all broken sinners and we need help. We need to lean on each other. And we're gonna be there for, for people and help you. And if that's a macro, but if you're going through it, it's not a macro. It's, a, it's not a uh, macro, it's a, it's a larger one. It's a macro, not a micro rather. It's a macro. And let me talk about the macro with one of the big ones this morning that I didn't know today. I didn't know that God could be both forgiving and just. Did you know that? How can God be both forgiving and just to us? A God who is loving can't be forgiving, but a God who is holy can be just. But how can God be the same at this, both at the same, both at the same time? And let me give you a scenario. Suppose there was a young man or young woman in their early 20s, it doesn't really matter. And suppose one day that man or that woman go into Rochelle and they take a baseball bat in the back of somebody's house and they go in and they break in the house and they begin to rob the house. And they go in there with that baseball bat and they're knocking down all the chandeliers, all the light fixtures, busting up the furniture, putting holes in the wall and everything like that. And as they leave and they're robbing the place, they get down the road and the police arrest them and they are charged, and now they stand before the judge. And they are there before the judge, and the judge says, you've been charged, and he reads them the charge. And the prosecuting attorney says, we have a lot of evidence, Your Honor, against this, this person. One, there was a video security camera inside of the house. And we have the video security camera, and we have the picture of these people, and they're exactly wearing the exact same clothes they wore when they did this yesterday. We also have found the baseball bat at the scene, and it matches the fingerprints with the person. We also have pictures on social media where they took a picture of themselves and bragged about doing this in social media. So we have a lot of evidence against this person, what they've done. And, and, and the judge looks at this and he, and he says there, to this young person, there's a lot of evidence against you. And how do you plead? And this person says, hey, we plead guilty. And the judge said to them, you know, you, you're young. You have a long life ahead of you. And I appreciate your guilty plea. And so therefore, the court decides to forgive you what you've done, and you're free to go. That's the scenario. Those on this side, you know the one who's been charged, your family, 
You're the mom, the dad, the grandma, the grandpa, the aunts and the uncles. You're the cousins, the friends. When you hear the judge say the court chooses to forgive you and you're free to go, how do you feel? Family, friends, how do you feel? You feel grateful, thankful, right? Relieved. They're free. Hey, they can come to that birthday party this weekend now, right? Because they're free, right? You feel that way. Okay. But, but you, this side, of, this side of the room, you, you're over here and you're thinking, uh, you're, they're the homeowner. You're the homeowner and it's your house they robbed. And you hear that judge say to them that uh, we choose to, the, the court chooses to forgive you of what you've done and you're free to go. How do you feel, homeowner? How are you going to feel that they robbed your house, that did all those things to your house and damaged your house? How are you going to feel? Angry? Judge, we want justice. How could you let this person go? We, we demand justice here. They broke many things in my house, many of them sentimental value. I don't feel safe in my house, and I'm angry, and I want justice. Now, God is that judge. We want him to be forgiving, right? We want him to be forgiving, but we also want him to be just, right? But how can it be both? How can it be both? I'm glad you're asking that question. You're asking that question, right? Because that's what our topic is today. So I want to share with you three truths about God's justice. If you have your outline, number one, realize you deserve God's justice. You deserve God's justice. Let's begin reading Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. And we're just going to start out in verse 21. He says, but now, and I want to stop there. The contrast here with the Apostle Paul is doing up to this point in the book of Romans, Apostle Paul is building the case from chapter 1, and we all have turned against the truth of God is what he's saying here. Because of that, we live lives of sin. Because of that, we're objects of his wrath. And he said it all started back, you read Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it all started because one man sinned in the world, Adam. Because of that, all of sin. So he's talking about this first step that we need to realize that we deserve God's justice, Okay. So let's read verse 21 and 23. He says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Before this, Paul was saying that we have exchanged the truth of God and the glory of God for a lie. So he's saying that we're under the judgment and justice of God. Now he's saying here, God has made a way for the righteousness of God to be applied to our lives. He's made a way, and it's apart from the law is what he's saying. And that's good news for any of us that try to live under the law, right? When we read the law, we realize the law was never meant to bring salvation, was it? The law was always meant to show us that we can't live up to God's standard, that we can't keep the law, right? We can't live that way. And that we need a Savior. We need someone to help us because I can't live to God's standard. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 3, and he basically said the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It was our teacher. We couldn't live by the law. So we needed someone outside the law to bring us to God is what we need. And Paul is saying here, God has made a way for that. That's what he's saying. God has made a way for that, for you to come to God apart from the law. And that's what he's saying. And then he says in verse 22, there's no difference. Other translations, he says there is no distinction. And he's making a strong point here. And he gets to verse 23. Most of you probably know verse 23, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that we are sinners. Is that news to anyone here? Is that news to anyone that we're sinners? We're all sinners. We all agree upon that. I wonder how many of you made it through this week without sinning. You think about it. You made it this week without sinning. And realizing sinning is just not breaking into a house. 
you understand that, right? It's just not breaking into a house. But it's the wrong thoughts. It's the wrong attitudes. It's, it's many times malice in our hearts. It's, it's hatred. Anything we do, think, or don't do that dishonors God, that is sin. And the Bible says one sin keeps us from the glory of God. So that's all of us. They're all sinners, the Bible says. And we've fallen short of the glory of God is what the Bible says. And this truth is so simple to believe, but it's hard to accept, isn't it? It's simple to understand that the Bible says we're all sinners, but it's hard to accept. Our society today doesn't want to hear that. That we're all sinners in need of a Savior. But that's what God says here in the Bible. That's what he's saying to us. And until we accept that, we will never accept salvation offered through Jesus Christ. We won't accept it by faith. We never will until we understand it. Well, how do we apply this? We're all, we all sit here in this defendant's chair, every one of us, and we're guilty. And God is the judge, and he's the one that's going to judge us one day, is what the Bible says. And the prosecuting attorney, he, he says, how do we plead? And maybe we stand here and we say, well, we start thinking, well, I've done this good thing. I've done this and this and this. We start listing all the things that we've done well. For all of us that have been impacted by original sin, is it really possible, we're really capable of doing anything good at all? What do you think? Can we do anything good at all? Some would say, no, we're not capable of doing anything good. I have the opinion that we can do good things. There's people that don't know Jesus, and they do good things that impact people's lives, right? You've seen it. But how does that happen? While we're all fallen human beings, we're also made in the image of God. Remember that we are made in the image of God, and that fall has marred the image of God, but it has not destroyed the image of God. Genesis 9, 6 tells us that. That image of God is still in each and every one of us, the Bible says. But what does that mean? That all the good that we're able to do will never offset all the bad that we're able to do is what it means. It means nor can we play these games with God and, and say, God, I've done this and this and this and this. We can never do that. See, God doesn't grade based on a curve, on a, on a scale. God grades based on his holiness. And it's the holiness of, holiness of God is the way he grades. Are you as holy as God? That's what he looks at. Are you as holy as he is? See, all of our attempts at our personal holiness is kind of a joke to God when it's compared to his holiness. We're trying to work our way to God, and God said it's kind of a joke compared to God's holiness. We're not even in the same category as a holy, just, righteous, perfect God. We're not even in that category. For us to say, I've done this and this, and now, God, I should get into heaven because I'm good, it doesn't even compare to who God is. So we're sitting in that defendant's chair, okay? And we sit there and we say, well, I don't have a lot to offer in terms of, of good deeds. I haven't done a lot of things. So how do I plead? I plead guilty. I plead guilty. I, I don't have any good deeds to even, even make that. So the evidence is overwhelming against us in what we see from Scripture. And the prosecuting attorney will show the evidence. And he comes and he says, he says, your own conscience tells you that there's a God and you're a sinner. Does it not? Does it not? Ask that to yourself. Does it not? Tells you there are God, your own conscience. There's a God in your center. And you would answer and you respond, yes, it does. I agree. Your own experience and your own life, what you've been able to dock, what we've been able to look at and followed you around for the last couple of days, your own experience, we have documented that, we have shown that out of your own nature, you have sinned. And you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Your own experience, your own life, your own nature shows it, that you sin and that you need a Savior. And you say, and you would, if God would ask it, the, the prosecuting attorney would ask you that, you'd say, yes, that's right. And then you say, the Bible itself and the convicting work of the Holy Spirit says, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Amen? We all need that. So there's so much evidence against us. And that's what Paul is building upon, all this evidence. 
So what we have then is a God who is holy is what we have. And what we have, because he is holy, in other words, sin has to be punished. It has to be punished. It can't go unnoticed. God has to do something with our sin. Let me give you another illustration. And it's about a house again. So suppose somebody broke into your home. And they broke into your home and they, they robbed you of all your belongings and they burned down your house. And so now you're in a hotel room and you're staying in a hotel room. You've lost everything. You've lost all your belongings. You don't have any of your belongings. You lost your home. You're in a hotel room. And I come visit you the next day. And I said, I just want to let you know they caught the person who broke into your home and burned it down. And I went to go visit them. And I just want to let you know that I forgave them. How would that make you feel? That I forgave them of all they've done. You would probably chase me out of that hotel room out in the parking lot, and you'd probably tell me, how could you forgive them? Because their sin wasn't against you, right? They sinned against me. Isn't that right? right? Where our sin is against God, and only God can forgive that sin. To deny my sin doesn't make me innocent. I'm responsible for my sin. The sin that I've committed, I'm responsible. So God who is holy, he is also just, right? But God who is loving is a God of forgiveness. And here I am and here you are. We desperately need the forgiveness of God, but also we're facing the reality of the judgment of God. Every one of us have faced that reality of the judgment of God. I need his forgiveness, but I'm going to be judged for the things I've done. So how can God be just to me? He can't just wipe away the sins because that's not justice. He just can't wipe them away. Uh, it has to be dealt with. It's all through the Old Testament. It talks about sin has to be dealt with all through the Old Testament. How can God also be a God who is a loving God and a God who forgives? Well, he kind of gives us a, a little insight in this first section, in this second truth about God's justice in your outline. Number two, receive God's justifying grace in Jesus. Receive God's justifying grace in Jesus. Let's read verse 24 and 25. And he says, And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. This is a whole long message of series right here. We could do three or four messages easy. But let me just hear some of the key words here because these are so important to understand. He says, And are justified. The previous verse says, faith, that through faith by believing in Jesus that we are justified. Justified means we are declared righteous by God. And so where God looks at us, and he doesn't look at our sinful past anymore, but he looks at us through the righteousness of his son, Jesus. That's how God looks at us. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God no longer looks at you as a sinner, but he looks at you through the blood of Jesus, and he sees the righteousness of Jesus. That is our standing before God through Jesus, if we know Christ as our Savior. Verse 24 says we are justified freely by his grace. Grace means that it is free. There's no charge that God has charged us. But he underscores that by adding the word freely. That meaning it's a free gift. He freely gave it to us. It's by his grace. And then he goes on and he says, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Redemption is a very powerful word. It, it comes out of the word picture of prisoners of war back in the, back in the ancient times. And that prisoner of war, they, they lost their freedom. They lost their autonomy. And now they're considered slaves of the empire. They also had slaves at that time, a horrible thing, because people who were made in the image of God were looked on as objects. But what they'd have, they 
put these slaves on slave blocks in the Roman Empire in the bigger cities. They have these slave blocks. They put them on these slave blocks. If people would come by and they see if they're muscular, they would ask them to open their mouth. They'll look at their teeth and to see if they were, their teeth were healthy and all that kind of stuff. And it was a horrible situation. It was back then. It was in our country. Slavery is horrible. It's a horrible situation. But people would come by and they would purchase a slave. And the word would be redeem. That's the word. They would redeem. To buy out of bondage. To buy them out of bondage. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what the Bible's saying. He bought us out of bondage. He redeemed us. He set us free. He bought us out of bondage of sin and death. And Jesus bought us. That's redemption. That's what Jesus did for us. That's the word he's using here. In verse 25, it says, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Some translations use the word propitiation. Let me ask you, how many of you use one of those two words this week? Atonement or propitiation? Probably not any of you use that word, right? So what is that word? That word just means appeasement or avert or make amends for is what it means. And that's what he did. So the wrath of God that was meant for us was averted or turned towards someone else is what it means. That was averted from us. The wrath of God that we deserve was averted and turned towards someone else. So here's the story. How is God just and forgiving? How can he be that? It comes together at the cross. The cross satisfies many things. And that God sent his son Jesus, and he died on the cross for our sins. And all that judgment that was to come to us was averted or turned toward God's son Jesus on the cross. They'd experienced all the judgment and justice of God there. It tells us that in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Listen to what it says. God made him, meaning Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We believe by faith in Jesus, and we have freedom, and we find forgiveness. And that forgiveness and love that is promised is found through Jesus, right? Is found through Jesus. God's love and forgiveness is found through Jesus. What happened to his justice? What about God's justice? What, what happens with that? See, we experience his forgiveness, his grace, and his mercy, but Jesus experienced his judgment on the cross. He satisfied God's justice on the cross is what he did for us. Are you with me? Praise, praise Jesus. Praise God for that, right? That Jesus satisfied all that. But that decision to understand what Jesus did has to be made by faith. We just can't understand it, but we have to accept it by faith is what the Bible says. So you have a person here in the defendant's chair. It's already been determined that they're guilty beyond the shadow of a doubt, right? We're all in that chair, right? So we're all guilty beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's what the Bible is saying. And we're desperately in need of a redeemer for salvation because we can't save ourselves. We're stuck. We're headed for judgment. And God sent his son to offer a gift to us that has to be applied by faith is what the Bible is saying. It has to be applied by faith. That faith is believing. It's not intellectual belief where I say, I agree with everything you're saying, pastor. That's not faith. That's not say faith. That's intellectual assent is what that is. That's not faith at all. Faith goes beyond that. We'll be given our entire being, not just accepting that and believing that, but living it out. That's what he's calling for us to live it out. It happened to me back in the 80s where I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I've not been in that defendant's chair ever since. You say, well, Doug, do you still sin? Yeah, I sin. Not proud of it, but I sin. Yes, I'm still a sinner. I still sin. But I haven't, that doesn't put me back in the defendant's chair. 
See, the moment I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, the Bible says I'm no longer under any condemnation. That God has forgiven me. He's wiped the slate clean. And Jesus took all of that justice. He paid the price for me. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're no longer under any condemnation is what the Bible says. Amen? should get some amens and say, praise God for that, right? That he did that for us. However, I've run into people who have said, I understand that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but I don't feel worthy to accept what Jesus did. Does anybody here feel worthy? None of us are worthy of it, right? None of us are worthy. That's why it's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's always by grace. We're not worthy of it, but it's by grace that God saves us through faith. And some, are, some other obstacles, people say, well, I don't, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Before I come to Jesus, I, I want to kind of clean up my life so it's be acceptable to him. So when I come to him and I, I accept him as my savior, my life's kind of clean up. Don't waste your time doing that. You can never clean up your life enough like that. Just give your life to Jesus. Allow him to clean up from the inside out. That's what he does. He accepts us with all our sins, with all of our troubles, with all of our baggage, with everything that we have. He accepts us. And what Jesus will do, he'll clean us up from the inside out. I I run into people that says, I'm going to wait to come to Jesus when I get to my deathbed. You ever hear that? I'm going to wait for that time. What is the problem with that thinking? When someone says, I'll wait till my deathbed experience. Most of us don't know when that deathbed is going to happen, do we? We have no idea what that's going to come in. We don't determine that timeline of our death. God does. The second problem with that thinking, I will wait till my deathbed. We're not in charge of the timeline of our salvation either, are we? We're not in charge of that. No one can come to God without the Son or through the Son. And no one can come to the Son without the Holy Spirit convicting them. Holy Spirit convicts us of, the Bible says, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he does that in each one of our lives. So none of us can just say, I'm going to come to God when I want to come. No, it's by God, the Holy Spirit, drawing us to Jesus and open up our hearts and minds to understand who he is. So anyone that would say, I'm just going to wait for several years till my kids get older, they're out of the house. Even when I get closer to dying, then I'm going to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. The Apostle Paul says it doesn't work that way. That's not how it works at all. Paul says emphatically in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, listen to what he says. He says, as God's fellow worker... We urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Today, don't put it off is what Paul was saying. If you hear God's voice in your heart calling you to him, accept him today. Don't put it off. You don't know what tomorrow brings. The book of Genesis and other places say, say this, where God says, my spirit will not contend with men forever. If God is working on our hearts now, we're to accept him. Because we don't, we don't know that God will always be working on our hearts. We may be too busy. We may not hear his voice calling, right? There's a preacher, Charles Stanley. Probably many of you know him, a famous preacher. I remember many, many years ago I heard him that when God is calling you, when you hear the voice of God to accept Jesus, we are the knocking on the door of our, our hearts. And if we don't respond, that every time that, that knock gets a little lighter because we've hardened our heart toward God. So sooner or later, it can get so light that we don't even hear it because we've hardened our hearts toward God, that we don't hear the voice of God because we're too busy. We're not listening to his voice. we got so many other things that we don't even hear that call anymore, God's voice. So God is in charge when we come to Christ. It's his appointed time. It's not ours. Respond. If he's moving in your heart today, say yes to him. 
Don't put it off and say, I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll wait till next week. You don't know what those days bring. But today, if you hear the voice of God, respond to him today. So let's understand. We need to understand that we belong in the chair. We need to understand and acknowledge that we're guilty. And we deserve God's judgment, right? That's the first point. The second point, we need to accept and receive the grace of God. That's a free gift through Jesus, right? That's the second point. Let's look at the third truth about God's justice. Rejoice in the God who is both just and the justifier. He's the one that makes us just, and he's the justifier. Let's read verse 25 and 26. It says, He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. When we sit in this defendant's chair, every one of us is sitting there, will experience either his forgiveness or his judgment or his justice. You're going to experience that. One of the two. If you've received his forgiveness, you will never experience his justice. You will never experience it. Jesus did that for you. Thank Jesus for that. If you reject God's forgiveness through Jesus, you will experience his judgment, his justice. It's eternal and it's horrible, and you don't want to experience that. But it's eternal. It will happen. One of the two. Either experience his forgiveness through Jesus, or if you reject him, you will experience his justice, his judgment. You will pay for that. So we rejoice what we have in Jesus, right? That we have salvation in Christ, right? We rejoice in those things that we have. I want to apply this in three different ways so you understand this. First way, if you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you've never put your faith and trust in him, you need to know that God loves you so much and he wants to have a relationship with you. And he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you because you and I are stuck in our sins. There's no way we can approach a holy, just, righteous God. There's a gap that separates us. So Jesus came to die on the cross to pay for our sins. So now you and I can approach a holy, just, righteous God through Jesus. But we have to apply it by faith. We have to put our faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. We have to trust him as our Savior. Simply come to him and say, God, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And today, I accept and put my faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. Until you do that, you're sitting under the judgment of God. You understand it? You're sitting under God's judgment until you do that. The only thing that will relieve you from that is faith through Jesus Christ and find his forgiveness. Number two, is there anybody here this morning doesn't know somebody who doesn't know Jesus? We all know people that don't know Jesus, don't we? So what are we going to do about it? We have to share with them. If we love them, we're going to share with them. We're going to, we're going to tell them, right? We're going to pray for them. We're going to try everything we can so they understand who Jesus is. So they never experience his justice, his judgment. We don't want that for them. Third way, this is going to take us in a little different direction. When we, when we ask the question, how can God be forgiving and just? How can he do that? Because he's God. He's God, right? That's how God can do that. But we're not. How can we be placed in situations and be both forgiving and just? How can we do that? Let me give you a couple of scenarios so you can understand this, what I'm trying to say. Say you're growing up in your home and you're eight years old. And your mom decides one day that she just leaves. She walks out and she doesn't say goodbye and she's gone and she never comes back. And now you grow up in your home without your mom. You have no idea why she left or anything like that. Years pass, and now you're 40 years old. 
and you're married and you have a family of your own. All of a sudden, you get a, your mother contacts you, either through phone, text message, or social media, and she says, uh, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes in my life, but the biggest mistake I made was leaving you when you were eight years old. I don't want to make that right. I want to come back in your life. Okay, that's the scenario. That's the scenario that you have. In those moments, you're struggling with forgiveness and justice, aren't you? Let's be honest, we're struggling with that. Forgiveness, you say, Mom, I absolutely would love to have you in my life. But let me just say, forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness is a process. You have to work through these things and work through what happened. Maybe you even have to get counseling through that. But it's a process. So, but forgiveness is a choice, too. We have to choose to forgive. But we work through that so we can find forgiveness. Say, Mom, I want to forgive you, but I want to forgive you. But we've got to work this out. The other side of it now, justice side, you say, oh, no, you don't. You just don't come back in my life. Where were you when I was a child? Where were you when I graduated? Where were you when I got married? Where were you when I have children? Where were you when my kids were going to soccer games, basketball? Where were you in all the Christmases? When I wonder where you were at. And I wonder, did I do anything to make mom leave? You're not just coming back in my life and receiving forgiveness. You're going to suffer as I suffered, right? Okay, we're not God. We're not God. So that's how we think. You're going to suffer like I suffered. Let me give you another scenario. Suppose a husband and wife, and one of, the, one of them is unfaithful to the other. And the one that's unfaithful finally comes to the, the other, their spouse, and he says, I've been unfaithful to her vows, and I cheated on you, and I'm asking, will you please forgive me? Well, you're still struggling between the forgiveness and justice. On the forgiveness side, you want to say, I forgive you, but that usually doesn't come right away, does it? Very rarely can someone say, I forgive them right away. It's a process. You can choose to forgive, but you got to work it out. Maybe get marriage counseling. But you go through that process to work it out. But the justice side said, oh, no, you don't. The suffering I'm enduring right now, I want you to suffer. I want to make you suffer. I want to see you suffer like I'm suffering right now. You understand what I'm saying? We're human. That's what happens. This is the world in which we live because we're not God. We're not God. So those kind of things run in our life. And God said to each one of us, I'll give you the grace to forgive. That's what he says. We see that in, in parables and in other places in the Bible. We can forgive because we've been forgiven so much. But what does God say about the justice side of it? What does he tell us to do with the justice? Here's what he says. Leave it with me. This is not much, but that's what he says. Leave it with me. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Some of the hardest verses to apply. They're easy to understand, but they're hard to apply because God says this. It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. When we choose to execute justice, we're doing only what God should be do, what, what he should be doing. We need to leave that with him. Let God take out the justice. Now, I'm not talking about if somebody breaks the law. That's something. That's the scenarios I'm giving you, and you know what I'm talking about. Is it the, fa the fact that the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son goes away, and he sins, and he does this wild life, and he comes back, and he asks the father to forgive him. What does the father do? He forgives him right away. But the older brother comes and says, oh, no, you don't. Where's the justice? He dishonored you, Dad. There's got to be something here, here happening. And the Pharisees are waiting for their father to say, you've got to suffer for this. But the story's about forgiveness. It's about God's forgiveness of us, but that story's about. is God forgiving us. And many of us are caught in this dilemma. We get caught in these, in everyday situations where we have to find the grace of God to, get, to forgive, but we have to leave the justice of God with God. We have to. 
we have to leave it with him. We can't make, carry out justice against people because they sinned against us. We have to leave that to God. We have to leave it with him. And I think in no better way to remind us that as we take communion this morning, as we go to communion, it's, it's through communion is a reminder that we have been forgiven much, right? That we've sinned against a holy, just, righteous God. But it's through Jesus where God's forgiveness and justice is found. It's through Jesus. And through Jesus, we're able to forgive others who have sinned against us and hurt us. As we take communion, communion this morning, remember all the sins that you have been given because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember that Jesus paid it all for you upon that cross. And through the blood of Jesus, we find the forgiveness of God. And through the blood of Jesus was where God was satisfied. Justice was satisfied through the blood of Jesus. And so as we take communion this morning, remember that Jesus shed his blood and gave his body for you upon that cross. And as we take communion, I want to let you know that communion is open to anyone that knows Jesus Christ as your Savior. And we have the elements up here. They receive the elements at each one of these tables. Come up and receive them. We're not going to pass them out after I get done praying. So let's just go to the Lord this morning and just it's in prayer as we receive communion. And remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He gave it all. And remember, Jesus, that he gave his body and he shed his blood for you as you take these elements. Let's pray. Lord, he come and we praise you. And we thank you so much this morning of all that you've done for us. For Jesus, you gave your all for us by dying on the cross for our sins. You shed your blood, Lord. It wasn't forced to come. You did it willingly because you loved us so much. And God, you sent your one and only son to come to die for us. So Lord, as we're taking these elements this morning, we remember Jesus dying on the cross, giving it all. And it's through his shed blood upon the cross that we find forgiveness. And it's through that shed blood upon the cross where, God, your justice was satisfied. And so, Lord, help us to be people as we're taking communion, be reminded that we need to also forgive others who sinned against us. And, Lord, that we must leave the justice with you. For you say, it is mine to avenge. So, as we take communion, we ask that we'd spend time with you. We might confess any sin in our lives before you might get our lives right. We remember all that you did for us, Lord. Lord, help us just to draw near to you as we worship you this time as we come to the table. Lord, we love you and praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.